Well, I want to begin by reading some scripture passages that uh, I think you'll be able to follow on the screen. And the verses share a common theme, a common word, common focus that I think you'll be able to pick out. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then Romans 8, 5 through 6, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 22 and 23 to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Then Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then Acts seventeen twenty nine. Being God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So what's the common theme or word or focus of the verses that I've read? Thinking, yeah. Thinking, what's going on in our minds? And um, as I did that little search in my preparation, there were many, many uh, other verses that I could have included on the importance of knowing what's going on in our minds. The challenge for us to evaluate the thoughts that we are allowing to rule in our minds. We need to be aware of the thoughts that rule and guide us in our daily living, those thoughts that form in our minds and help us in the process really of evaluating the different situations and circumstances uh, that we face every day and that we have to make decisions about every day and then act in accord with. So in light of that, Let me ask you some questions, and these are questions you don't need to answer out loud, but just take note of some of the first thoughts that come to your mind. What do you think about work? What do you think about school, sports, the Cubs? No, maybe not that. Sports, Um, let me find my place here, money. Marriage, when life begins, what do you think about God? What do you think about human sexuality? Well, in a setting like this, I expect most of us had similar thoughts about some of those topics. But if I was to go to the general public, set up a table outside Walmart or wherever, and ask questions like this, like that, I would expect I would get some very different answers than what formed in the minds of most of us here this morning. Certainly there would be different differences, different thoughts on God, on marriage, money, the beginning of human life, 
different thoughts on the origin of the universe, human life itself, again, different thoughts on human sexuality, different thoughts on the causes and solutions to problems in the world, different thoughts on the purpose of life, different thoughts on how a person knows right from wrong, different thoughts on the culmination of life and how all things end. I mean, to me, it just would be interesting asking people those questions and, and really seeing the different answers that I would get. Well, I think we can conclude that people have different ways of viewing the world around them. And in light of what we're studying, people have different worldviews. Think of the word worldview. It comes from a German world. German word uh, uh, called Weltanschauung, composed of the first part of the word is, uh, is referring to world. The second part of the word is referring to a certain view or outlook. So it refers to the framework of ideas and beliefs through which an individual interprets the world and interacts with it. This is what we're going to be studying in the next few weeks quote from um, a series that John MacArthur did on worldview. A worldview comprises one's collection of presuppositions, convictions, and values from which a person tries to understand and make sense out of the world and life. A worldview is, first of all, an explanation and interpretation of the world and second, an application of this view to life. So that definition helps us see two important aspects of this whole matter of worldview. Number one, it's the thoughts and the explanations and interpretations of the world. It's the ideas that we have in our minds that help us make sense of the world around us on a daily experience, really. The information in our minds that we use to understand really what's going on around us in our daily lives. And, and with that, that source of information in our minds, we draw conclusions about what we see around us. And then secondly, once we think about what we see and then we draw conclusions about them, then we respond in certain ways to what we're experiencing. That is really the application of our worldview. I mean, all that makes sense to us. We operate that way sometimes with our children. They're doing something that, where in the world did that come from? And then we ask, what were you thinking? You know, so we're making that association uh, between what we see, their actions, and what they've been thinking. There's information within their minds in which they're using to to discern what's going on around them. They've drawn conclusions about what's going on with the thoughts and the resource of information that they have. And on the basis of all that, they act. And sometimes they act over and over again so that it becomes a habit. We all do that. And before you know it, we're, we're acting without even thinking. But it's not like we were never thinking in the first place. In the first place, we were thinking and drawing conclusions in acting on the basis of that information and those conclusions. So again, the individual interprets daily life experiences on the basis of information 
he or she presumes to be true. I mean, that's a big presumption, but all that information we act upon, we're acting upon it on the basis of we presume it's true. It's reliable uh, source and guide for daily life. And then, therefore, again, that leads to certain ways of acting. And Nancy Piercy, in her book, Total Truth, that was written a number of years ago, gives this definition. A worldview, then, provides a model of the world which guides its adherence in the world. It stipulates how the world ought to be, and it thus advises how its adherents ought to conduct themselves in the world. Another quote by James Sire, who wrote The Universe Next Door. In his book, he defines defines worldview as a basic set of beliefs and concepts that work together to provide a more or less coherent frame of reference for all thought and action. So, and no matter how many definitions I give you, there's going to be this connection between the thoughts, the concepts, the values, presuppositions that we have in our mind. All that information guides us in making conclusions about the situations that are going on around us and then moves us to act on the basis of those conclusions. So everyone has a worldview. No one is neutral. Now, it's probably not written down. Somebody was to come up to ask me, can I have a copy of your worldview? Well, I, no, sorry, I don't have it written down. Um, but we all have it. It's all within our minds. We're all acting upon that worldview, that way of viewing the world. It's all up there in our minds, and we're acting upon that uh, on a daily basis. And it all gives us direction as, as to how we respond and interact with God, with ourselves, with other people, and the rest of creation. And like, give me, let me give you an example of uh, marriage. Um, people would have the thought, well, the origin of marriage, uh, the idea of marriage was with people. Ages and ages and ages ago, as people uh, came into existence and evolved and populated more and more, it's like all these people were all over the place. And somebody said, well, we got to do something about this. I don't even know who goes with who. And somebody's, we got to organize what's going on here. So therefore, you've been living with this person for so many years, so you stay with him. And what are we going to call this? I don't know. Let's call it marriage. And so that's how marriage came about. And therefore, the conclusion is we can make it uh, to be what we want it to be. We can change it as we believe best fits the times in which we live. A conclusion. And therefore... The actions that follow, well, we can just simply do away with it. If it doesn't fit the times in which we live, it becomes more of a hindrance, an obstacle, rather than something that's helping, well, just do away with it. Or we can make it between people of the same sex, or maybe between more than two people. Or we can just end it at our convenience uh, whenever we want. And again, where it doesn't fit what I want to be accomplishing in my life. So again, a worldview determines how a person interacts with the rest of the world, with God, himself, herself, others, and the rest of creation. 
And having this ability really to think, have this worldview, is a wonderful capacity to have. Um, it, it helps us function on a daily basis. And that's because we were made in the image of God. So we start with God when we consider this whole topic of a worldview. God is all-knowing. He thinks, he plans, and acts according to his own will. Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Psalm 45. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. So that combination of, of thoughts, God's thoughts, and the wondrous deeds and, that he does. Psalm 147.5, his understanding is beyond measure. Romans 11.33, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And then Acts 17.26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. So God, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He thinks and he plans and he acts according to his own good pleasure and will. And out of who he is... In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we hear him say, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Excuse me. <clears throat> so people being made in the image of God also have this capacity, although far, far limited compared to God, this capacity for knowing, for thinking, for drawing conclusions, and then willfully acting. We can see that uniqueness of humanity as we read about really how God interacted with Adam and Eve. First of all, just how he interacted with them, what his expectation was as he was interacting with them, but then also in, in the things that he told them and what he expected of him in relation to what he told them. So in Genesis 1, you can take, turn your, take your Bibles and open there. I'll give you some scripture passages. These won't be on the screen, but you can follow along. Genesis chapter 21, and we'll start with verse 28 through 30, and just switch to some other verses as well. And at times I might not read all of the parts of those verses. Genesis 1, 28 through 30, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So as I, again, as I'm reading, you're really observing how God is interacting with them and what he's saying to them. And then Genesis 2, 7 through 9. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. 
And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens that, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So, interesting, reading through this passage, God's interactions with them. Certainly he was talking to them and and gave them instructions that they understood. He gave them information that they desperately needed to have in order to know how to relate to God, to each other, and the rest of the world around them. The worldview, their worldview was established by the information that God, need, God gave them. It was something, they needed to have this. Um, certainly they were, they were made in God's likeness, capacity for understanding, receiving information, and some information quite possibly already. But not all the wisdom, not all the knowledge and information they needed for life in relation to God themselves and the rest of creation. Their worldview was established by the information God gave them, all the information, again, that they needed for enjoyable existence in their world came from God, and being made in the image of God, they understood and they lived that out. Man, what a glorious place that must have been. What a beautiful existence. Everything they needed for a flourishing life there in the garden came from God. Their capacity to understand it, to receive it, to know it, to think about it, and then their capacity to live it out daily. He instructed them about their relationship with him. He gave them instructions and commands. Genesis 1.28, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So 
um, they understood certainly how they came into existence, that it was God who, was, who had made them. Their origin came from God. God was the one that was giving them instructions. God was the one commanding them. They understood that their relationship with him was that we are the creature and we are the one who listens to him, listens to his command, and we follow through. We submit to him as creator and obey him. These are the parameters in which they knew that they were to live. If they were going to enjoy, again, life with him, with themselves, and the rest of creation. That's a gracious God in, in the beginnings of man's existence. But also he gave them information about their relationship with each other. Adam was the one that was supposed to lead, and Eve was the, to be Adam's corresponding helper. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It would be through their physical union as husband and wife that others would be born and and come into the world. They understood their relational bond was to be a, a permanent and pure bond. And so God gave them that information they needed for their relationships with each other. But then also to the rest of the creation, subdue it and have dominion. Chapter 2, verse 15, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So being made... In the image of God, they could, again, receive instruction and information from God. They could understand the world around them, their place in it, in regard to God themselves and the rest of creation. And with that perspective, they could order their daily lives and their actions. All that they did in their relation with God themselves and the rest of the creation they, they could do out of this information that God had given them, given them. And they could enjoy it. Their lives would flourish because of the gracious work of God toward them. God made them with this capacity for worldview living, the right way of viewing the world. And as they acted on that, their lives would flourish. They would have great joy and pleasure in living in God's world. What happened? We all know something happened. Everybody in the world today acknowledges there's trouble in the world. We no longer live in a world where peace are, people are at peace with God, one another, and the rest of creation. There is trouble in the world. What happened? Well, God also gives us the answer to this. Now, you understand I'm operating and giving you information out of a biblical worldview. <laughs> if somebody else was up here standing that was, did not have a biblical worldview, you'd be hearing far different things than what you're hearing this morning. But God's design was distorted in Genesis 3. Satan, Adam, and Eve brought this distortion of uh, a flourishing life. Satan brought a contrary worldview, a contrary way of viewing God, other people, people in their relationships with one another, and the rest of creation. First of all, in regard to God. He didn't glorify God and submit to him. He spoke and acted in opposition to God. He attacked the character of God and gave contrary counsel. 
Genesis 3.1, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now imagine that. They had never heard anything that would be any different than what they knew than from, from what God had already communicated to them. And now here's a new voice coming into, at this point, Eve's life, bringing a, a, a different message Something that was given to help to motivate and move her to doubt what God had given. The counsel, the information. This was brand new information that was being introduced to Eve. And then he came right out and said that the information that you got from God is not accurate. Whereas God said that they would die, Satan's bringing this worldview, this new bit of information, this new way of thinking that says, you will not surely die. What? I know we know she was in this process of being deceived at this time, and we'll discuss a little bit about that, but again, brand new information. God told me something that wasn't true? You won't, surely you won't die. In fact, he's telling Eve that God's really keeping something good from you. Genesis 3, 5, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Not only is he lying from you, but this God who said everything is good, everything is very good, really is not good. Your situation especially is not good. It's not the best that it could be. It could be better than what God has told you in, in, it is. It could be better. You could be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan's attack on the information, attack on God. Well, also in regard to their human relationships, Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, so he approached Eve instead of Adam. Adam was to be the leader. He was to be the provider. He was to be the protector. Eve was Adam's helper. Satan acted contrary to God's design, really to disrupt God's order for the family. And I think also to throw Eve off balance in regard to what was going on her. Now here she was, in a certain sense, apart from her helper. Her helper wasn't coming alongside, and that was part of Adam's problem in this situation. Wasn't coming alongside and, and protecting her and reminding her of the truth. And so she's being deceived by this, this new information that's coming her way. And Satan attacked God's order for the family and their roles as husband and wife really, again, to disrupt and throw things off kilter and off balance to get Eve to act contrary to the information and the plan that God had given her for her flourishing in her relationship with Adam. But then he also attacked the information that God had given in regard to creation. He says it wasn't enough she could eat of any of the other trees. She should be able to eat of the tree that God told her not to eat from. So Satan's counsel in regard to the created tree was contrary to the counsel of God. 
Well, it's, it's bad enough that he brought this counsel, but what's even worse is they, they accepted it and they acted upon it. Again, remember, information that we come, bring into our minds, that comes into our minds. We mull that information over. We draw conclusions upon that information, and then we act upon it. And that's what we see happening here with Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, that's all that inner activity that's going on in, in, Eve's, in Eve's inner person. And if she, as she allowed herself to continue to mull on that and to consider it potentially as, as true information, at some point she drew the conclusion that it will be good. It will be good for me to go in this direction and eat of the fruit. And so she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So Adam and Eve took it upon themselves to take on a different, distorted worldview, a different way of viewing God themselves and the creation around them. Certainly they thought differently about God. At some point in their thinking, they came to a wrong conclusion about their role, their relationship with God. They, they thought that they could and should really act independently of God and his counsel. At some point that they thought they as the creature should have the independence and sovereignty to determine for themselves how their lives should be in the garden. I mean, obviously, they acted on that information. You know, prior to this, they had all this other counsel and, and wisdom from God that they were acting upon, and it were, they were acting in submissive way to God obeying God. But when this new information came from Satan and they allowed that to take over in their minds, they acted differently. They acted independently of the sweet, good counsel of their creator that would nurture and give them the, the privilege and joy of living a flourishing life in this creation of God. They thought differently about their marriage roles and, and acted contrary to God's design. Adam should have run to Eve's defense, as I said earlier, and rescued her from this incursion of this adversary and the infiltration of this destructive information that he counseled that he was bringing to her. But he didn't. He became the follower when he should have been the leader in the path of righteousness. She took up the position of acting apart from Adam and not seeking his counsel. She lost sight of her role of, as Adam's helper and instead hurt herself as she ate of the fruit and then gave to Adam. That was no act of helpfulness for him, for her to give to him to eat. But he took it and ate it and plunged himself also in this, into the same destructive consequences of sin against God. But then they also thought differently about the tree and acted again contrary to God's design. Genesis 3, 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was to be desired to make uh, one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Eve should have exercised dominion 
and not allowed herself to be ruled by how the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the, delight to the eyes and how, how it could make one wise. All these things were true about the tree. It was a beautiful tree. But apart from the wise counsel of God, it should have been forbidden. It was forbidden. It should, she should have turned away from it. It doesn't matter how good it looks. Still, within the framework and perspective of God, it should be avoided. There's thoughts within my mind saying, I should go there. I should, should go after it. I should take it. There's thoughts within my mind that are saying, this is going to be better for me. But when you, and when you leave and forsake the counsel of God in a situation like that, it will not produce what is good. What the, what the desires, wrong desires and wrong worldview is saying will be good, will not be good. Because it flies in the face of the wise counsel of God. She looked upon it and thought upon it wrongly. She was not thinking about it from God's perspective. She wasn't looking at it from the perspective God had given to her and Adam for their ongoing flourishing. Then Adam willingly disregarded the loving counsel of God and took the fruit and ate of it as well. The result of their casting off of the counsel of God was death and destruction. A contrary worldview they adopted in their minds and then acted upon destroyed what they had been enjoying previously. The contrary worldview was not able to produce the same kind of flourishing life God designed for them. And that's the thought we always need to have in our minds. The contrary worldview is not ever able to produce the same kind of flourishing life God has designed for them. The results of following their contrary worldview and their relationship from God, they hid from God. Prior to to their sin, they knew God as their all-glorious benefactor, friend, creator. He gave them all they needed for a flourishing life with him, each other, and the rest of creation. But then we read in Genesis 3.8, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Can you imagine? Never had they done anything like that before. And I expect this wouldn't have been the first time that the Lord wouldn't have come in the cool of the day to talk, to give them counsel. Everything they enjoyed in that relationship with God was gone. And now we see them, instead of running to him, hey, I hear him in the garden, let's go. Now they're hiding from, I mean, I can only imagine what they must have been experiencing at that time and how different it was from the previous ways in which they were relating to God. I mean, we're all familiar with that, right? We we sin, and instead of running to God, we hide uh, at times. And they were afraid of God. After God called to them, asking where they were, Adam said, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Again, can you imagine that? Never before 
had he been afraid of God. And now he's got this emotion within himself that's telling him, run and hide. I'm afraid, you know, get away from this, this God. They were judged by God, Eve and Adam both. They were separated from God, sent them out of the Garden of Eden at that point. Let's keep moving here. Also, the consequences individually, the relationship with each other, with Eve, multiplied pain in childbirth. Her desire would be contrary to her husband. She would struggle with the desire to take his role of leadership in the home. That's what she had done. She had taken the lead. And now this was going to be something that would follow her and many others, the rest of women in creation, that they would struggle with this. No, I want to be the lead. I need to take over here. Um, but Adam as well, he, he would take a domineering role over her. There were, these were effects were on both of them. Instead of providing tender, loving leadership, he struggled with desires to dominate and reign over her. It's no wonder in Colossians 3.18, Paul is still giving this exhortation after years and years and years had passed, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. See the effects of sin just on and on and on, rolling throughout the ages because people taking on out of the sinful nature, this new way of thinking about their relationships with each other within the family. But then also the rest of creation, that was also judged too. Cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles that you bring forth for you and We've heard from Romans 8, Pastor John's teaching in Romans 8. Creation redeemed humanity, groan and wait eagerly for this final redemption. The effects of sin, the destructive effects of sin was not limited to just them. Each person, as I've said, operates out of a sinful nature. We again have heard this from Romans 8. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. No capacity now within a person outside of Christ even to desire it. and It does not want to submit to the law of God. Different worldview, different way of thinking in regard to one's relationship to God. Instead of running to God who could bring a flourishing of life, there is opposition. No, I don't want him to rule over my life. But then also we see it in, in Cain shortly after Adam and Eve lived. He, he lived out of a completely different worldview. I have to keep going, just mentioning some of these people prior to the flood. Lord God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. See that association again. What's going on in the inner man, his thoughts, his views, his presuppositions about how the world should be and how I should be in the world, forming the basis for how he acts, decisions he makes and how he acts, and as a result, the world was in total chaos prior to the flood because of the worldview, the information God had given people for their flourishing was rejected. The Tower of Babel as well. They didn't seek the glory of God, but rejected his plan to have dominion over all the earth. Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Yeah, let, let man be exalted, not God. 
Such worldview thinking and living has continued right up into our days. People still suppress the truth. They push it away by their unrighteousness. They don't want to live by God's perspective and counsel. And again, every one of us were there at some point in our lives prior to God's grace and mercy toward us and bringing us back to him, which we'll hear more of next week. But again, we see this rejection of God and God's perspective and counsel as people today deny the existence of God, even if they don't deny his existence verbally, they deny the reality of who he is and how they act. They have no daily thoughts of God, show no, show no sense of his sovereignty over them as creator. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that lesson. People still need to learn that lesson. Deny the authority and sufficiency of God's word for daily life. His counsel still rejecting that. No pursuit of or, or pleasure in the counsel that God still provides in his word. There is no absolute truth, people will say to each person determines what's true for themselves. I had um, someone say that to me recently, you know, that you know, what's true for you is not true for me. That's why we live differently. Or the majority determines what is true and best for, best for society. Now they pass laws that make evil acceptable and holiness unacceptable. People should follow their feelings, that which is so subjective, or even apart from God's word. Or let their experiences guide them. Let science guide us. Let psychology alone give us understanding of ourselves and others. Education. Education is what will lift people out of this trouble that we're in. All the substitutes for God and his counsel that people have set up have proven to be ineffective to restore people to their original purpose of glorifying God and enjoying him and his design for life in this world. In this situation, we see it today, people are crying out for solutions. They want relief from the trouble. Listen to the news. You, you know it. They're looking for some understanding. Someone. Someone has to do something. This can't go on the way it is. They're looking for solutions. Well, there is a solution that we'll hear about next week. A complete restoration and recreation of a person that will lead to the renewal of the mind and a new way of living, even as we continue in this fallen world. We'll take a look at that next week and the weeks to come as we learn more of a biblical worldview. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all I can say to you is thanks be to you, O oh God, for the unspeakable way in which, gracious way in which you've acted towards so many, even toward all people in the world in your common grace, but in particular for those of us who come to the knowledge of Christ, and the reality of yourself, Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that. We all had to learn that. And we give thanks for the great patience you've had with, with so many of us and all you did to bring us to the reality of the knowledge of Christ. We look for you to continue to, to do that work in us, even this morning as we leave the service and go into the morning service 
may we offer just up unto you acceptable words and forms of praise in our singing and our praying and our listening to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.